Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam, asher kichanu bimitzvotah v'tivanu, la'asok bedivrei Torah. Ve'harevna Adonai Eloheinu et divrei Torateka, befinu ufi amka beit Yisrael, ve'nia anaknu v'tzeetzeinu, v'tzeetzei amka beit Yisrael, kulanu yodea shemeka ve'lomde Torateka lishma. Baruch atah Adonai hamlamed Torah le'amo Yisrael. I'd like to welcome you to the final podcast for the Shummerman podcast of 5780. As of Shabbat this week, we will be in 5781. The head of the year, known as Rosh Hashanah, Yom Teruah, Yom Hazikaron, Yom Ha-Din, all that is going on starting with candlelighting this Arab Shabbat this week. So Rosh Hashanah will coincide with the weekly Shabbat, which is going to be amazing because it's a double portion of everything. Uh, We have the Shabbat blessing. We have the uh, Rosh Hashanah blessing. So as you're doing your Birkat and as we do the Shemone Esrei, we will have uh, additional brachot that we will be reciting uh, and beginning tomorrow morning, as of this podcast, uh, waking up early in the morning to do some slikot, uh, which is going to be amazing uh, because there are penitential prayers that we do uh, from the 25th of Elul leading all the way up to Rosh Hashanah, which actually coincides with the anniversary of the completion of the rebuilding of the wall under Nehemiah, which is Nehemiah. So uh, during the days of Ezra and things like that. So. Just a lot of good Kedusha coming down. And we are definitely to that point where those who endure to the end will be saved. Uh, the The birth pangs of Mashiach are definitely kicking up quite a bit. Uh, the whole world is finally uh, understanding that ain't nobody going through things by themselves anymore. We're all going through stuff and it's hurting, it's painful, tears, crying and things like that. So... Being mindful of these things is super, super important. Um, Rabbi Pincus Winston Shlita uh, has a beautiful uh, commentary that he put together for Parsha Nitavim and Vayelik. And this was actually uh, shot over to me by none other than Mitznefet Shlita, a.k.a. Zanif, a.k.a. Nova, Mr. Helmet of Salvation, Shlita. So uh, he threw this at me, and I was very, very, very grateful for it. Uh, if you don't know about Rabbi Pincus Winston, you should. His website is 36spelledout.org. So T H I R T Y S I X dot org. Uh, he has commentary on the Parsha, so many different things, current events, and things like that, and it's beautiful. The first thing I want to note is that at the top of this page, it says Parashat Hashvua. So the Parsha of the week. And I was thinking about Parsha Hashuva because that's really what Parsha Nitzavim and Vayelik are all about. Uh, as of my previous podcast from last week, we talked a lot about the relationship between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and the days in between there, which are called the days of awe. So we are literally ascending into the high holy days. So I bring this article up because the comments that uh, Rabbi Winston brings down 
first one he drops is Yevamote 63A that says, All punishment comes to the world because of the Jewish people. So, you know this thing called COVID-19. You know this thing called uh, increasing just outrageous hardships and challenges that are coming down on everybody and shutdowns and uh, quarantines and things like that and uh, all sorts of stuff. Well, that's our fault, Jewish people. We need to own up to it, and uh, it's a beautiful time to do so because we have the opportunity to repent for that. Uh, Why is it our fault? Well, number one, we don't like to convert people. Number two, uh, we're full of baseless hatred. Number three, um, I mean, there's so much, so much other things that we could say, you know, where's our unity? Where's our understanding that, um, there's at least 12 tribes, you know, there are, there are 12 tribes, not at least there are 12 tribes and each tribe is different than the other tribe, but we're all unified because we all are in Hashem. We all have our own Torah and, uh, you know, Parsha, um, Hazinu, well, Parsha Vayelik really going into Hazinu told us about the different Torah scrolls that Moshe wrote. Uh, he wrote 13 of them, one for each tribe and then one for the Levites, you know, so each tribe has their Torah scroll. And if you think about it, one Jewish household to another Jewish household, we differ from one another. You know, I was talking to the Geula gang and we were talking about Arab Shabbat plans this week and we were saying, you know, well, depending on how you do your Eruv, just make sure these brakot from the Makzor are in there, you know, so add in the Makzor uh, Seder to your Seder. Some people light candles, go straight to Kiddush and Hamoti. Some people light candles and do Telim. Some people light candles, they go into Ma'ariv, you know, things like that. There are so many different ways, but at the end of it all, in conclusion, we're all doing Kiddush and Hamotzi. We are all blessing the name of Hashem. We're bringing in the Shabbat. And so you'll have your candle lighting. You'll have your Kiddush. You'll have your Hamotzi. And uh, those are our unifying elements. And it fans out from there. Obviously, blessing the children, the Shalom Aleichem, the uh, Eshet Kayil, blessing the wife, you know. So we have these things that link us and lock us together. And then we have all these embellishments and rich enrichments that we also do. Same thing when it comes to the tribes. Like there's things that Zebulun does that Naphtali will never do. And so on and so forth. So to really be mindful of these things is very, very important. And to bring back the unity that we had when we used to make Aliyah to Yerushalayim to go to the Beit HaMikdash. And Telim 122, there's a beautiful drop in there about how Jerusalem is the city that makes all, all Jews beloved to one another. I was going back and forth with Ish Pela Shlita um, this past Shabbat as we were just kind of praying and uh, finding comfort in the Telim. And uh, between telling 122 and going up from there uh, and then cross-referencing that with Vayikra, Leviticus 19, uh, with the you shall not hate your brother in, his, in your heart, uh, love your neighbors, you love yourself. 
and coinciding that with Parsha Kitisa about the the Kitisa at Rosh when the head is lifted up, the head of the Jewish people, and there's a whole uh, dying for the sins of Israel drop about the leader of Israel who dies for the sins of Israel uh, from the Or HaChaim. So putting all these things together, there were some beautiful drops about literally us laying our lives down for one another and how love ultimately encompasses all that and really is a fuel and a foundation for all these things to uh, go forth. So when you really look at us as Jews, like when we stop looking down on each other and start working together and start really anchoring down Torah in this world and all parts of the world, that's where the healing comes from. So with the aspect of Teshuvah, I've been reading a lot in the book of our heritage, and I want to bring up this point uh, on Slikot and go into my point on Teshuvah because as we do the Slikot, uh, it's, um, it is ideal to do Slikot and a minion because the essence of Slikot is the 13 attributes of Hashem, which is found in Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 through 7. And uh, there is actually a special booklet for Slikot because they are not in the standard Siddur. So if you don't have the Slikot booklet for the High Holy Days, there are Slikot in our Siddur, but they're not the High Holy Days Slikot. Um, but like the different fast days and things like that, they're in there for that. And by the way, Yom Kippur Katan service is totally in the regular standard complete art scroll Siddur. So uh, I found that today as I was looking around and seeing what kind of sleek coat we have access to in there. And that was in there. So in case anyone needed the Yom Kippur Katan service, we have it in our Siddur. Note that we do not do Yom Kippur Katan this week, uh, taking us into Rosh Hashanah, because that day is spent preparing, namely for Rosh Hashanah. It's spent in repentance, but there's no fasting. And uh, there's also not any fasting at the end of Tishrei. Uh, again, these are Book of Our Heritage Drops. Talking about the Yom Kippur's Katan service. Uh, no, this is Sidur Drops, Slika. Let me read that real quick. And then I will continue on with the Slika. Well, let me go. So, okay, Slika. Um, you do the Natilat Yadigim Braka when you wash your hands before, um, when you wake up, basically. So, when you wake up, you do Mariani. Then you'll do Natilat Yadigim. And then you'll go into Slika. Even before you don uh, tallit and before you don tefillin. Because you want to do this before daybreak. So the whole awaken the dawn. I will awaken the dawn with my praises from the Tehillim passages. That's where this comes in. Uh, so you'll get to have you a little King David moment. And then it says after reciting Slikot with the arrival of dawn, the hands are washed again, but the bracha is not repeated. And Ishpela Shlita brought down as well that uh, this applies to other hand washings during the day. And we were going back and forth over that because 
it's in the halakha, but we haven't cited it yet. So uh, you can stay tuned on that, Bezrat Hashem. But just to say, um, when you're going about uh, hand washing uh, for other occasions, the only other time that you're going to say a bracha after you do the hand washing is going to be if you're getting ready to eat bread. So you'll do Natilat Yadigim when you first wake up. And after that, you'll do Natilat Yadigim if you're eating bread. So most people do Natilat Yadigim before each time they pray, before they do Shema. Some people do uh, the Natilat Yadigim uh, when they get ready to study Torah. So anytime you do those hand washing times, you do that without reciting a bracha if you've already done the first bracha the first time you've done it when you after you woke. So just a little heads up on that. But again, uh, we don't we haven't cited the halakha on that, but that's totally a, a thought that's out there. And uh, we will track it down with the help of Hashem. Blee nether without a vow. So. Other than that, uh, I wanted to mention that because I thought that was really cool. It reminded me of Pesach, how we have the two hand washings during the Seder. One has the blessing and one doesn't. So bringing in the, the former and the latter rains. And again, if you're doing Slikot without a minion, you will um, omit saying the 13 attributes. And uh, obviously you'll omit saying the Kaddish. So other things you can recite if you don't have the Salikot booklet for the High Holy Days, uh, Tehillim 145 and Tehillim 51. And um, any other passages that you want to read that will stir your heart to return to Hashem. Uh, it is permissible, though. It says in the book of our heritage, you can say the 13 attributes as if you are reading the passage in the Torah rather than as a prayer. So those totally are things that you can do. Okay, so this repentance drop for us is this. It says... Even if you have been greatly iniquitous and have rebelled against God, he did not close the doors of repentance to them. Israel was therefore admonished to repent from however far they had turned away. There are many levels in repentance, and man draws near to God in accord with his repentance. So it's based off of a measure. How much repentance do you want to make depends on how close you get to Hashem. And remember, the king is in the field right now for the next few days, and then he's going back to his palace. So what are we going to do with that? How close do we want to get? And it says, a light washing will not avail to remove all the stains and spots, and it will become white only to the context to which it was washed. Likewise, the soul cleansed of transgression to the extent to which the heart was purified or the heart is purified. So how much work are we putting into our repentance? You know, how much washing are we doing? How much taking off the old and putting on the new? Just like when we counted the Elmer and as we're reading Tehillim 27, 
you know, those those concepts, those meditations, those hit Bodadut times, you know, all the Musar in the world time, you know, that's what we're supposed to be doing right now. And however much effort you're putting in now, that's what you're going to get in the coming days. And Rosh Hashanah, it's also important to note, again, this from Book of Our Heritage. It says that on Erev Rosh Hashanah, it is customary to rise early and recite many slikot and supplications arousing oneself to repent. Erev Rosh Hashanah will be the Friday morning. Now, Erev Shabbat and Erev Rosh Hashanah for your Seder time will be Friday night. So just know the day before a Yom Tov is called the Erev of the day. So Erev Yom Kippur is the ninth of Tishrei, not the 10th. So I know it's kind of confusing because we think Erev, oh, light candles, but Erev is actually the day that proceeds. So this is what makes the the crucifixion account and the Gospels uh, a little bit more understandable when we understand that Messiah was crucified on Erev Pesach the day before Pesach, which is the 14th of Nisan. So when you look at that, that hopefully will be helpful. And then uh, it goes on to say that this is the last day before the day of judgment. Now, I want to also bring up that last week's podcast, I talked about Yom Hadin being uh, Yom Acharon, Acharon, like the final or last or the one that comes after was Yom Kippur. Well, I open up my Rosh Hashanah Magzor and it totally says Yom Hadin. So now we have two final days, two last days, but they're really one. Because remember how just like Nitzavim and Vayelik are really one parsha, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur are really connected. It's like this ongoing day. All 10 days are considered to be one long day because your your trial is opened up starting on Rosh Hashanah and then the judgment is set on Yom Kippur. Now, there are grace periods to where you get to Hashanah Rabbah, seventh day of Sukkot. Then you get to even Hanukkah, which is a long time after the high holy days in Sukkot. But you're not supposed to be aiming for that, but that's for those who um, who don't know, those who have not heard kind of thing because it has not been preached, it has not been taught. And there are many people who are still walking around in darkness because no one's really teaching and no one's really sharing all these things with them or the people who are walking in darkness don't want the light. But Hashem is merciful. So... Just a side note on that, Rosh Hashanah is called Yom Hadin, and Yom Kippur is called Yom Hadin. Both of these are referred to as the last day. And remember all 10 days, Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur. First of Tishrei to 10th of Tishrei is called one long day. So literally every day is your Rosh Hashanah. Anyway, it goes on to say here in Book of Our Heritage that the last day before the Day of Judgment, on which all the world's inhabitants pass before God, one should be exceedingly careful not to sin against one's fellow man, and one should concentrate on thoughts of repentance. 
we need uh it goes on to say it would not occur to us to be concerned with anything except pleading for the king pleading to the king for mercy and forgiveness so if we knew we were going on judgment trial before a human king king a king of flesh then uh obviously we would be very fearful of that and sometimes we outweigh flesh opposed to a shim but it's like okay so we need to flip that around that the same type of fear and trepidation we'd have before a mortal king how much more so should we have before Hashem? So these days are serious, nothing to be played around with, which takes me back over here to uh, Rabbi Winston and this beautiful uh, post that he shared. Because if you're looking around and feeling like things are tough right now, that's how it's supposed to be. Because check this out. It says it helps to recall that history is about war between good and evil. Good is the side that fights for God and the implementation of his will. Fighting for God and the implementation of his will. Evil is the side that either consciously or unconsciously helps the Sitra Akra interfere with this. Now, I don't really talk much about the Citra Acre. It's a Kabbalistic term, but I'm going to give us a little crash course in Citra Acre. I did a, a podcast with Ishpela, and we were talking about how the, the darkness uh, is fed by the latent, untapped, unused Kedushah from light. So darkness taps into what the light is not using to be nourished and sustained by it and actually used to cause havoc and chaos in the world. So, Citra Acre, same thing. Says this is connected to the concept of klipa, which is a shell, as, uh, basically a concealment, a covering for holiness. So if you crack open the klipa, you can reveal holiness Hence why if we take off our flesh, all of its desires, we can reveal the holiness that is in the soul that God has placed in us. So, my God, the soul that you've placed in me is pure. You know, that that whole bracha we cite during the morning blessings, uh, it's called the Elohai Neshama. And uh, so, yeah, if you want to take some time and just look at that uh, in the footnotes, it'll be very, very beneficial but Citra Acre, it says, is called literally the other side or the side of impurity. So if you think about everything holy, well, there's also everything that's not holy. So let's see here. I'm looking at um, Nissan David Dubov. And he's dropping some uh, some Kabbalistic concepts for us on Chabad. There is two distinctions of Klipa and Kabbalah. It's called the Klipat Noga, literally the Klipa that can be illuminated. 
and shalosh klipot hatmayot, which means three totally impure klipot. And it says klipa noga can be uplifted and refined while only form or while the only form of reformation or redemption for the other three is their destruction. So the klipa has two parts to it, which is all encapsulated under Sitra Akra, that there's parts that can be refined. And then if it's the other type, then it can't be refined. It has to be destroyed. And when we say destroy, it's basically like repurposing. So when we talk about killing our flesh or mortifying our flesh, dying to ourself, what does that mean? What does that look like? That means bringing an end to the current status and the current condition of our flesh and bringing it into the side of holiness. That would be considered the destruction of the flesh. Just like the destruction of Edom is okay. On a one level, there is an actual destruction there. There will be a collapse in the infrastructure of Edom, but there's also the understanding of revealing the, uh, the sparks of holiness that are trapped in Edom. This is why you have a lot of people who come from Christianity that actually end up converting to Judaism and they make very, very awesome Jews. They're super zealous for Hashem because those who have been forgiven much, they love much, you know, and remember love is mitzvah keeping. So you have a bunch of converts who just come in on fire for God and they want to keep all the mitzvot in the world. And you're just like, will you calm down? And it's like, no, I will not. So that's where that comes from. All right. So get a little bit more solid of a description here. It says Kabbalah divides everything in this world into either Sitra de Kedusha, the side of holiness, or Sitra Akra, the side of impurity, literally meaning the other side or the side of the Klippa. There is nothing that is in between. Every thought, speech, action, or creation has its source in Kedusha or Klippa. There is no in between. And the in-between that we like to think of in our human minds, like, well, I don't have to do the Jewish stuff, but then I'll kind of do some Jewish stuff or, you know, I don't have to believe in God, but I'll kind of live some godly principles. That's actually side of Sitra Akra, which again would be Klippa's Noga. It can be refined. It's not necessarily evil, but it's also not necessarily good. So that in-between that people want to walk still puts them on the side that is not Kedusha. And it's really cool when you think about the side of Kedusha because we have the perfectly righteous and then we have the the masters of repentance. And so, you know, even the Kedusha side has two parts to it, you know. So hopefully that is helpful information. Let's go back over here. So the epic battle between good and evil, it says evil is a side that either consciously or unconsciously helps the Sitra Akra. Whether you know it or not, if you are not Team Kedusha, Team Torah, Team Mitzvot, Team Yeshua, like 
walking in covenant, all that kind of stuff, you are putting yourself in a place of consciously or unconsciously fueling the evil side. That's kind of a, it might be hard to hear that, but that's, that's what the truth is. And again, there is no in the middle. You're either Kedusha or Klepa. Those are the choices. And then it goes on to say that there are a lot of very ambitious and politically powerful people out there causing a lot of spiritual and physical harm. But just like the snake in the garden, they're only the stooges for the Citra Akra. The Citra Akra is the one really calling the shots for the other side. He is the only real enemy of truth. Though we may find ourselves seeing mortals whom he has employed to carry out his plan, and that plan is to disrupt the learning of Torah and the performance of mitzvot as much as possible and reduce holiness in the world. The more he can do this, the longer it takes for redemption to occur and for him to finally be annihilated. I want to repeat this. The Citra Akra is really the one calling the shots for the other side. He is the only real enemy of truth, though we may find ourselves seeing mortals whom he has employed to carry out his plan. And that plan is to disrupt the learning of Torah and performance of mitzvot as much as possible and reduce holiness in the world. Disrupt the learning of Torah, the performance of mitzvot as much as possible and reduce holiness in the world. Those are the three missions. He has accepted it. And then the other part about it is that the more he can do this, the longer it takes for redemption to occur and for him to finally be annihilated. So one of the reasons to wonder why have we not seen the Messiah yet? Why is there no final redemption going on yet? Why is the temple not built? Every generation of the temple isn't built. It's likened to that generation being responsible for the destruction of that temple. That's kind of heavy. We learned that back during uh, Tisha B'Av. Well, that's the game plan. The beautiful thing is we not only have the awareness now to fix that, we have the ability to fix that, but with the onset of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, we're going to have a whole lot of help from Hashem should we apply ourselves. Um, so I got to hang out with the Silver Surfer today, which is Zoreak, our Avenger, Shlita to him. He was reading from the Rosh Hashanah Archgirl Tanakh series. And he was talking about the blast of the shofar, that there are three types of blast, the tekiah, teruah, shavarim. Those three blasts nullify the three agents of the satan. We got the evil inclination, we got the angel of death, and we have 
Hasatan himself, which are the three are actually one. Uh, the, the one who entices, the one who persecutes, and the one who carries out the death sentence. So through these blasts of the shofar, we're going to uh, uproot those. But the thing is, you got to get to Rosh Hashanah, first of all, and have your wits about you to be ready for that. Then uh, the waving of the lulav also weakens the adversary. And uh, the Shimone Esrei does that. So anytime you're getting ready to do the Amidah, that's happening. Also, fervent recitation of the Psalms, the Tehillim, does the same thing. So if you go through the month of Elul, if you read the 150 Tehillim during Elul, and if you read the 150 Tehillim on Yom Kippur, 150 plus 150 equals 300. 300 is the gematria of Kofer which is the word for atonement. So it is definitely a segula to read the 150 Tehillim twice. Once, read it in Elul, and the second time, read it during uh, Yom Kippur. The other beautiful thing about that, if you feel overwhelmed, is if you get together with other people and get a group, you can bring down like a this get you some type of environment of atonement so you can literally join together the two uh, two or more gathered in my name kind of thing so just some encouragement on that but I thought it was very important to understand the, the gravity and the time that we're in and to really take advantage of it and don't let this time pass us by and the wisdom the Jewish Wisdom and the Numbers, page 307, it talks about the 50 gates of understanding because there are actually 50 days of Teshuva. When you start from Rosh Hodesh Elul and go until the end of Hashanah Rabbah, which is the seventh day of Pesach. So there's a total of 50 days there. So then, uh, to introduce the 50 gates of understanding, says the creation of Israel in the 50 days between Pesach and Shavuot ties into another aspect of symbolism found in this number. So 50 is all about literally a new creation because that's what Israel is. That's why we converted at Shavuot. You know, we immersed, uh, we were circumcised back during Pesach, and then we brought the Corbin. Uh, the blood was sprinkled on us uh, on Shavuot. So that whole section of Exodus 19 and Exodus 24, that was a conversion process. That's a new creation, according to Judaism. A convert is a new creation, a uh, person who repents is a new creation and a person who gets married also becomes a new creation. So the hoopah brings forth a new creation as well. So all of those different things have to do with the concept of 50. And here's why, because it says God created the universe with noon, Sha'are, Bina, 
Okay, Nun Sha'are Bina. If you take the first letter of each of those, of each word of that phrase, you have Nun Sheen Bet. Rearranges to She Bin, which is of or because of the sun or through the sun, She Bin. So if you take the sheen, bet noon, it becomes sheben, it becomes of the sun, that of the sun, because of the sun. So yes, so all creation was set up through Mashiach. Little Colossians drop here. Stand by for that. Let's go to Colossi. If I can uh, open up the right Bible. Here we go, the Agarit, the letter to Colossae, chapter 1. Says, starting at verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, which is She, the Sheen, all things were created. We just read, right? Hashem created the universe, like Melech HaOlam, Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, blessed to you Adonai, our God, King of the universe. Okay, so Master of the universe is another way we say it, Creator of the universe. He says, or it says, God created the universe with Nun Share Binah, the fifty gates of understanding. Colossians 1.16 just said, For by him all things were created. So the 50 gates is Yeshua HaMashiach. And who is Mashiach Yeshua? That is the image of the invisible God, or he is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn, i.e. Reshit, which is the word for firstfruits. The Bechor. The firstborn, the first fruits of the father is the firstborn. Yochanan chapter one, the word, which is called Rashid, the first fruit, the firstborn of God became flesh and tabernacled among us. Like what we do with the sukkah. What is the sukkah? It is the encapsulation of the arm of Hashem. It is the shade of our Amuna. It's covered by the smoke from the Holy of Holies of Yom Kippur, which was created by the blast of the hundred blast of the shofar from Rosh Hashanah, which came from the previous month of shofar blast every day and broken hearts stirred to repentance during Elul. Set off by the final day of the month of Av, which is known as the Yom Kippur Katan, to take us into Elul. So see how everything is like super intricately connected and all these steps are super, super important. So just to go on to say all, all things were created by him in heaven and on earth, the seen and the unseen. And, you know, you just have to stop and think for a second. We're talking about the physical image and representation of Hakadosh Baruchu, who is invisible. Like, he's beyond an image. He's beyond his name. 
you know, and in order for us to be able to grapple and, and, uh, make be tangible to us, he gives us his name, Hashem, Adonai, you know, he gives us his Torah, he gives us the Ruach HaKodesh, he gives us the Moshe of each generation and things like that. He gives us Torah scholars, you know, and so anyway, just to think of, you know, the invisible God has like physical and visible manifestations for us to really uh, interface with. So as it goes on to say, all was created through him and for him. He exists before everything and in him all holds together he is the head of the body, his community. He is the beginning. He is the firstborn from the dead so that he might come to have first place in all things. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself. Making shalom through the blood of his crucifixion stake whether things on earth or things in Shemaim. Okay, so that's a heavy passage from Colossae chapter 1. Uh, the letter here, and it's verse 15 through verse 20. So back to the Jewish wisdom and the numbers. 50 gates of understanding, which we now know is Yeshua HaMashiach. And also Rosh Hashanah 21b cites about the creation being brought forth at the 50 gates of understanding and Nettering 38a. And it says the 50 occasions Exodus is mentioned in the Torah correspond to the 50 gates of understanding. And that's from the Vilna Gaon and the Adaret Eliyahu on Balak. Parsha Balak goes on to say the 50 gates relate to the ascending spiritual levels within the world through which man must pass in order to uncover the inner secrets of creation and to in order to comprehend the powers capabilities and life forces within the source on that is Ramban introduction to Sefer Bereshit and also Vilna Gaon from the Safra de Zinuta 1. So there is a beautiful praise that is written about. Um, see here. Stand by for a moment. Um, boom, 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 boom. Start off with uh, the first letter to Corinthians, chapter 2, verse 10. These are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. And then let's see here.
that one thing where you're like thinking of the verse and you can't remember what it is. Getting closer, uh, the letter to Ephesus chapter three, verse three through six, God revealed his secret plan and made it known to me. I have written briefly about this. And if you will read what I have written, uh, you can learn about my understanding of the secret of Mashiach. In past times, human beings were not told this secret, but God has revealed it now by the Ruach to his holy apostles, which are the Siachim, the sent ones, and his prophets. The secret is that by means of the redemption of the flesh, which is the Besorah Hageula, the gospel, it says, um, the Goyim, the nations, the non-Jews have a part with the Jews in God's blessings. They are members of the same body and share in the promise that God made through the Mashiach Yeshua. And that has been completely misconstrued a lot. But the point is, is that Mashiach is supposed to bring the nations into obedience the nations are supposed to come up and learn the ways of God. We learn about this in Isaiah chapter 2. So Yeshayahu chapter 2. Read it to us real quick. And I should ask HaKadosh Baruch to help me find the verse that I'm thinking of. About revealing the secret. Okay. Verse 2 it says... Or uh, chapter 2, verse 3. Many peoples will go. This is Yeshiyahu, Isaiah. Many peoples will go and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of Adonai, to the temple of the God of Yaakov. And he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. And it goes on to say in the commentary, The nations, the goyim, says of the world will encourage one another to ascend the mountain of Adonai and so, or so that they may go to his temple for they will be drawn to it as a source of their light and life. They will come to the temple, literally the house. It calls the temple, the Beit Elohe Yaakov. And Beit Elohe Yaakov is the first letters of each of that is bet aleph yod which can be arranged to aleph bet yod which is avi which is my father so the house of the god of yaakov is our father it goes on to say the commentators wonder why yeshiyahu refers to the temple as the temple of god the temple of the god of yaakov without mentioning abraham and yitzhak Rashi explains that it was Yaakov, not Abraham or Yitzhak, who gave Mount Moriah the distinction of being named Bet El, the house of God. Bereshit 28, verse 19. Abraham referred to it as a mountain. Bereshit 22, 14. That's the second reading of uh, Rosh Hashanah. So Rosh Hashanah, day two. You're going to be reading Bereshit 22, the Akedah account. And Yitzhak referred to it as a field, Bereshit 24, verse 63. Referring to the temple as the house of God, Yeshayahu uses the title given to it by Yaakov, see Pesachim 88a. 
The nations will say he will teach us his ways and we walk in his paths. God will teach the people through those who know the Torah. This is why Yeshua said, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, you are to go out and make Talmudim of the nations. I need to send y'all out to go and begin to teach people how to walk in the ways of God. Says alternatively, Yeshiyahu is not referring to God, but to King Mashiach, who will teach them the ways of Hashem, and he will judge disputes between the nations. And then it goes on to say, the nations are explaining why they're converging on the Temple Mount. Torah law that comes forth from Zion is the most authoritative because it is the location of the Lishkat HaGazit, the chamber of hewn stone, where the Sanhedrin sits in judgment. Some say these are the words of the prophet who explains that the nations will will aspire to go to the temple mount because it is from there that Torah law and moral instruction will come forth. Not only the teaching of the Torah will come forth from Jerusalem, but also the prophetic word, although Torah... Also, the prophetic word comes from Mount Moriah, comes from the Temple Mount. If you're getting prophetic words and all this kind of stuff and it's not coming from the Temple Mount, what is that saying? So it goes on to say, although Torah will come forth from Zion, which is the Temple Mount. There's that. Some people don't know Mount Zion is the Temple Mount. Now we know. And it goes on to say the prophetic word will come forth from the city of Jerusalem. For that is where the prophets will assemble like the Avengers. Anyway, uh, those were drops from Malbim, Radak, Maharikara, Medzudot, and Rabbi Hirsch. And if I didn't say it before, Malbim... (laughs) And Medzudot or Medzudat Zion. And this is from the Art Scroll Milstein edition of the prophets, uh, the Sefer of Yeshiyahu. Okay, so back to my verse of who he revealed it to. There it is. Todar Bashem. Matityahu eleven twenty-five. What context is he in? Let's read it in context. Woe to the unrepentant. This is cross-reference with Luke ten, thirteen through sixteen. It says, and you, Capernaum, Kofer Nahum. Atonement and comfort is what Capernaum is. It says you will be or will you be lifted up to heaven? No, you will be brought down to Gehenna. For if the miracles that were performed in you have been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it is more bearable 
for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. At that time, Yeshua declared, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was well-pleasing in your sight. This is super important because the next thing that it tells us about these 50 gates is it says that the people who have access to the 50 gates of wisdom is the penitents. Let's see, where is that at? Because the crazy part about this, Moshe didn't reach the 50 gate, 50th gate until his death on Mount Nebo, which translates as noon bow. 50 is there. So it says the process this is page 308 in Jewish wisdom of the numbers. The process of teshuva repentance itself is related to Bina, which is understanding is such that sin is eradicated. What happens? A person relates to his transcendental roots, returns to God, emerges as a new creation. Interestingly, there is a total of 50 days of Teshuvah from Rosh Hodesh, Elul, until the end of Hashanah Rabbah. So, back up a little bit. Um... think it was in the footnote says in the Amidah blessing of Teshuva it's juxtaposed to Bina understanding so we have the repentance and the understanding blessing next to each other in the Shemoni Esrei this is Megillah 17b says see Rabbi Zadok Cohen from Prezotic Tuba of 6 it says, as to how the level of 50 gates of understanding is the level of knowledge given to a penitent. The level of knowledge given to a person who makes teshuva is the 50 gates. Hence why Mashiach is given to the sinners. He didn't come for the, the well. He came for the sick. Remember that. And now we have Yeshua telling us in Matthew 11, saying, in verse 25, you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Little children also being related to, not necessarily meaning it specifically, but newborn babes. So, all of these great riches and glorious wisdom, deep secrets of Hashem, are revealed to the little children. So much so that we read about Capernaum, who was not able to really grasp what was happening to them with Mashiach walking in its midst. So much so that had Mashiach done the same thing in Sodom, Sodom would have repented. Capernaum is the home base of 
of the Mashiach, but yet it didn't recognize him and couldn't grab him. But had Mashiach made Sodom his home base, like Lot did, then uh, it would have repented. And we all know, if we go back to the Parsha and learn about Sodom, uh, that's kind of uh, disturbing, or a lot of disturbing. So, all of that, I really don't know what to say after all this, but we need to repent, (laughs) grab a hold of the 50 gates of wisdom. And if that wasn't enough, Yeshua goes on to say, all things have been entrusted to me by my Father, No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal. So if you know Hashem, you will know His Mashiach. If you know Mashiach, you will know Hashem, but you can only know Hashem if the Son chooses to reveal Him. So, yeah, we can only know the Son if the father chooses to reveal the son to them and you can only know the father if you know the son by whom you've been chosen by the father to know it's crazy it goes on to say come to me all you who are weary and burdened and i will give you rest take my yoke upon you the kabbalat ol the yoke of heaven and Learn from me. I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is exactly what Moshe did to receive those tablets, the sapphire tablets, and to actually go back and get the second set of tablets. Mind you, every time Moshe brought the tablets down the mountain, which was twice, He was at the end of a 40-day fast. Just think about that for a second. Like, the beginning of a fast, you don't want to lift anything heavy. But at the end of a fast, you definitely don't want to lift anything heavy. We're looking at at least a half ton, if not more, was the weight of the sheer tablets, at least the sapphire ones. Don't know about the weight of the second ones, but I'm just saying some stuff going on okay so a beautiful drop is in the back of the printed version of the orthodox jewish bible from afi.org afii.org Sika. Uh, this is a beautiful compilation of everything you want the isbn number if i can find it i will give it to you because this is something that you have to have nine seven eight zero nine three nine three four one oh five four that's the isbn get this book it's amazing because at the back it says the jewish calendar and the ojb the orthodox jewish bible for the month of tishrei it says the yom tovs that occur rosh hashanah the fast of gedalia yom kippur sukkot which includes hashanah rabbah and Shemini Atzeret and Simchat Torah. Hashanah Rabbah is the seventh day of Pesach. It is not a Shabbat. So if you have to work and it's Hashanah Rabbah, that's totally cool. And Hashanah Rabbah will coincide 
with our Gregorian calendar on October the 9th. So it's a Friday. So yeah, and it's also while we're at it customary to stay up from Erev Hashanah Rabbah all the way through the night like you do for Shabbat. So stay up and study Torah all night. October 8th to October 9th. All night tour study. Have a slumber party. Get you some. Okay. So in here, I just wanted to bring down a few insights because it uh, it talks about the different passages in the 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 Gospels and the letters, the Gerot of the Shliakim that uh, reference Rosh Hashanah. One of them is the Garret to Ephesus, Ephesians uh, 5.14. So check out Ephesians 5.14. Let's go to it. For everything made visible is light. This is why it says, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Mashiach will shine on you. One of the things that we have to understand is Rosh Hashanah is literally connected with resurrection. So stand by for that. Isaac's death and resurrection. So... Bless you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who resuscitates the dead. Or Barukatah Adonai, Mekayeha Metim. As we say in the Amidah, second bracha of the Amidah. Well, guess what? That is day two of Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is a two-day Shabbat, Yom Tov. If you say the Eruv Tashlin, uh, blessing for being able to cook on the second day of Rosh Hashanah. That will be important. So that way you don't have to worry about running out of food. You can actually cook food for the second day. Can't cook food on the first day because this year it's on a Shabbat. We don't cook on a Shabbat. So get your food prepared ahead of time. So just to throw that out there with Rosh Hashanah being that. Um, let's see here. Checking out some other keywords and see if that'll give us something. So, trumpet blast, shofar blast, resurrection, that is Rosh Hashanah. Um, hmm. See if there was anything else. I definitely wanted to uh, read about the goodness. A vote de Rabbi Natan 3.8. This is going to be weird. going to give you a heads up now. But I wanted to reference back to 
Shemot 19 and Shemot 24, the whole Mount Sinai experience, that the dead were raised, according to legends of the Jews, to be brought forth to the mountain to hear the giving of the Torah. So all the shofarot that are being blasted, all of the awe, the fear, and the trepidation before Hashem, that happens on Rosh Hashanah. That is also talked about and paralleled in the uh, Parsha Yitro at Matan Torah. So the dead were raised for that. Also here in Avot de Rabbi Natan 3.8 says there is a story of a certain saint who gave one dinar to a poor person during a time of famine his wife derided him, so he went and slept in the graveyard on Erev Rosh Hashanah and heard two spirits of dead girls talking to one another. The first one said to the other, My friend, come and fly across the world with me and we will see what disasters are coming upon the world. The second one said, My friend, I cannot go because I am trapped under a thicket of reeds, so you go and tell me what you hear. She went and came back her friend or and her friend said, "My friend, did you hear anything behind the curtain about what disasters are coming upon the world?" She said, "I heard that hell will strike anyone who plants in the first quarter." So the saint went and planted in the second quarter. Hell struck everyone else, but did not strike him. The next year he went and slept again in the graveyard and he heard the two spirits talking to one another. The first one said to the other, come, let us fly across the world and we will see what disasters are coming upon the world. The second one said, my friend, didn't I say to you, I cannot go because I'm trapped under a thicket of reeds. So you go and tell me what you hear. She went and came back and her friend said, my friend. Did you hear anything behind the curtain about what disasters are coming up on the world? She replied, I heard that crop disease will strike anyone who plants in the second quarter. So the saint went and planted in the first quarter. Crop disease came upon the world. Everyone else's crops died or everyone else's crops became diseased, but his did not become disease. He told his wife the whole story. Only took two years, huh? One day, the saint's wife got into an argument with the mother of one of the dead girls. Wow. The saint's wife got into the argument with the mother of one of these dead girls. The saint's wife said to the mother, come and I will show you your daughter trapped under a thicket of reeds. The next year, the saint went and slept in the graveyard and he heard the two spirits talking to one another. The first one said, my friend, come and fly across the world with me and we will hear what they are saying behind the curtain. The second one replied to her, my friend, leave me be for things that were spoken between us have been overheard by the living. A vote day, Rabbi Natan three. Now I bring this down because remember all this stuff that's going on right now in the world, the riots, the plundering, the looting, uh, the COVID, the quarantines, the lockdowns, the shutdowns, the freak out, social distancing, all that stuff was decreed last Rosh Hashanah. 
Now, Rabbi Anava Shlita was selling, telling us that if we get into 5780 and beyond, bringing the redemption is going to be challenging because the margin of being able to sweeten the redemption is like narrow to none after we get into the 80s. So it's just very interesting that disasters and things that are happening in the world they're already talked about and discussed and like even the spirits of the dead they all know about it and then we end up catching up with it here in the in the realm of the living so just to let you know everything that we're experiencing right now and everything that we will experiencing in the coming year is all set and determined by what we're doing with these final moments of 5780 and what we're going to do with our Rosh Hashanah through Yom Kippur. So we need to take it very seriously and we need to understand the implications and implications of our actions, of our thoughts and of our speech uh, with the help of Hashem, I plan on giving a drosh about this, but uh, it's basically speaking our reality. What reality do we want? Because whatever words we're speaking is the reality that we're going to get. Now, it's going to take time for it to actually take effect. And, you know, it's like the frog that's in the, the water that is slowly raised to boiling temperature. Like the frog is kind of in the water like, oh, this is great. But all of a sudden, it's like, oh, the water's boiling. Oh, my gosh. And it's like the fire has been on under you the whole time. These are our words. They do that to us. We speak and we speak and we talk and we talk. We think and we think. We do and we do day in and day out. And then all of a sudden, we're like, oh, my gosh, how did I get to this point? It's like, well, how have you been speaking? What have you been thinking about? What kind of actions have you been doing? They do catch up with you. And furthermore, they build your world and they build effects on the worlds of those around you. So what are we doing? What are we looking forward to? What are we anticipating? And what are we speaking out and proclaiming? So I end with this, um, the passage in the Garrett to Thessalonica chapter four, Verse 16. So let's go there. First Thessalonica. Just sounds like a very powerful place to live. Thessalonica. Okay. It says, For Adonai himself, for our Lord himself, at the signal and bot coal of the Sar Hamalakim, the archangel, and at the shofar blast of Hashem. Rosh Hashanah teaches us that there is a ram's horn that will be blown by Hashem for the final blast of the horn. And that is when Hashem himself will descend. So I believe it's in Zechariah where it talks about Hashem will descend on the mountain. His foot will be on the Mount of Olives and all that, the great earthquake and all that kind of stuff. Well, here we go, writing to Thessalonica about it. It goes on to say, And at the shofar blast of Hashem shall come down from Shemaim, 
And the dead in Mashiach shall stand up alive in Tekiah Tamatim first. So it's also understood. Uh, we were reading in um, Sefer Bereshit and uh, Parsha Vayaki in the Midrash about Yaakov not wanting to be bar- buried in Mitzrayim because he didn't want his body to have to go through the tunnels to get to Eretz Israel for the resurrection. So when the resurrection happens, everybody's going to be brought to Israel through underground tunnels, and then they're going to be raised up from there. Why? Because that was where the first man was raised up. That's where the final man was raised up, i.e. the second Adam, Yeshua HaMashiach. And so it will be for all those who experience the resurrection. So you wonder why there's going to be an earthquake. Well, there's a lot of bodies that got to roll through tunnels and travel. Then you got the whole fact that the dead are raised in Mashiach first. So there's kind of this level to who's going, who's coming up first. Then it goes on to say, then next in sequence, we who are alive and who have been left behind simultaneously with them shall be snatched up in the clouds to meet Adonainu in the air. Now, this verse has been used for the rapture. Don't really have time to talk about it, but there's no uh, Jewish context of a rapture. If we look at the redemption being like the first redemption, the final redemption being like the first redemption, that Israel was in Egypt the whole time. All plagues happened. Everything went down. We're still there. We were actually left behind, and that's how we were saved. And we understand salvation, that those who endure to the end will be saved. So, Selah. And then it says, And so always with Adonai we shall be. Therefore, give strength and speak divrei hizuk. Speak words of encouragement, comforting words or comforting one another with these words. All right. So the passage in Thessalonica chapter four are very, very key, very, very important for us to be taken note of. And I want to go over here for a second. There were some beautiful drops here oh see God it's the Corinthians passage uh, the footnotes on the first uh, Thessalonica first Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 16 uh, pointed out Shemot 19 the passage is about the shofar blast in there Specific verses. Nineteen sixteen, which says, "In the morning of the third day, there was thundering, lightning, thick cloud on the mountain, and the blast of an exceedingly loud shofar. All the people in the camp trembled." And First Corinthians fifteen fifty two. 
in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last shofar, for the shofar will sound, and the dead will be raised, incorruptible, and we will be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruptibility, this mortal must put on immortality. But when this corruptible will have put on incorruptibility, this mortal will have put on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Now the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the Torah. But thanks be to God who keeps giving us the victory through our Lord Yeshua HaMashiach. Therefore, my dearly loved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor is not in vain. Now break this down. So the sting is sin, and then the power of sin is the Torah, but the victory comes through Yeshua. So if you're in Yeshua, you're in the Torah, that's the victory over death, which loses its sting. So again, world death is your victory because the victory of death is taken away by the victory that we're granted through Yeshua, which if we are granted victory over death, death loses its sting, which the sting of death is sin. And that sin has its power in the Torah because a person who rejects the Torah by default rejects Yeshua, which by default puts you under the victory of death, which has a sting, which causes you to sin. Even if you try to walk in Torah. So just a little Selah moment there that we have to be given to Yeshua. We have to be given to the son of God, given to the first fruits and through his victory that he gives us death and sin are overcome through that constant victory that we find in Yeshua, which we have to understand is Teshuva, which is the 50 gates of wisdom that is for the sake of the sun, which is Sheben, Nun, Sha'arei, uh, Bina, that phrase, 50 gates of wisdom or 50 gates of understanding. So as we continue to take off the old, put on the new, continue to repent, continue to renew ourselves, continue to be like little children, taking upon ourselves the yoke of Mashiach. We have to do that constantly, constantly renew, constantly. Just like we say the Shema every night and every morning, we constantly do it and we keep it connected throughout the day so that everything we do becomes a mitzvah. It becomes part of the mitzvah. It's this uh, imbued holiness that comes into our mundane actions because of what got us to that point and were we using that point to take us. You know, this is brought down beautifully in the last two weeks of the Musar class by the Rambat Shlita, a.k.a. Batya. And she talked about this, how your mundane actions can actually be elevated to holiness 
And so if you haven't gotten a chance to listen to Musar Babatya, please listen to the last two weeks and you'll get some amazing teachings on that. And so when you look at all this, that the shofar is going to be basically just bringing up a lot of amazing things. And if we're not repentant, uh, it will not register with us. So let's make sure it does. And my final verse that this is all connected to comes from Yeshayahu 27, verse 13. So back in the arch scroll here. says, it shall be on that day that a great shofar will be blown. And it uses Beshofar Gadol. And those who are lost in the land of Assyria and those cast away in the land of Mitzrayim will come together and they will prostrate themselves to Adonai on the holy mountain in Jerusalem. So the prototype for the final redemption is found in previous redemptions. So through the shofar will be gathered in. So this is why we talk about the Tekabe shofar bracha. Let me read it for us from the Shemone Esrei. Tekabe shofar gadol. It is literally brought after uh, prosperity. So the blessing of prosperity for the year. And then we go into the end gathering of the exiles. So we go from the Barek, which is the blessed, to the Tekah. And it says, sound the great shofar for our freedom. Raise the banner to gather our exiles and gather us together from the four corners of the earth. Blessed are you, Adonai, who gathers in to disperse of his people, Israel. Sound the great shofar. There are three differences between this prayer for redemption and the earlier one. Because we have an earlier prayer of redemption, the Geula redemption. Which is the one that says, See our suffering, fight our battle, and redeem us speedily for your namesake. For you are a powerful redeemer. Blessed are you, Adonai, the redeemer of Israel. So the earlier blessing refers to God's daily help in all sorts of crises and suffering, while this one refers to the future redemption from exile. Number two, it says the earlier blessing refers only to physical salvation, while this one is a plea for spiritual deliverance. Number three, this one specific or specifies not only freedom from oppression, but the ingathering of all exiles to the land of Israel, which again, we just brought up the dead are raised by being brought through tunnels and brought up in the land of Israel. And that's going to happen through the blast of the shofar. So commentary says, on that great day of ingathering, all the exiles will be gathered together as if by the blast of a great shofar. All those who are lost in the land of Assyria, those cast away in the land of Mitzrayim, will come together. 
the phrase, those who are lost in the land of Assyria, refers to those mentioned in previous verses who were gathered from the surging Euphrates River. Whereas those cast away into the land of Egypt refers to the brook of Mitzrayim mentioned in the previous verse. Assyria and Egypt are mentioned metaphorically to represent those near and far. Alternatively, after prophesying destruction of Edom and the salvation of those exiled there, i.e. Rome, Christianity, says Yeshiyahu prophesies about the salvation of those in Assyria as well as Egypt. Hasidic masters see rich meaning in this verse. Here are a few of their commentaries. Ashur, related to the word Ashrei, implies success and good fortune. In our context, it refers to people who are convinced that their service of God is perfect and that therefore they have no room to grow. Mitzrayim, which Ashur is connected to uh, Assyria, because it says, Be'eretz Ashur ve'hanidachim be'eretz Mitzrayim. So the land of Assyria and the land of Mitzrayim, Ashur is how you say Assyria. So those who are near, those who are far. Mitzrayim, on the other hand, implies people who feel cast away into spiritual and material straits, who have not even begun to advance toward their spiritual goals. The prophet assures them both and everyone in between that when the great day of redemption arrives, they will come with alacrity to serve God in the most holy place. Get you some of that. Because sometimes you feel like, oh, I, I maxed out, man. I'm over the top. Like, I got this. I got it all down. I got all the halakha. I don't have any more room to grow. Or you're saying, man, I don't even know what Aleph looks like. I don't even know what a zitzit is. It's like, and if you're in between that spectrum, at the final redemption, we're all going to be going towards Hashem with a lot of alacrity. It also says, great wealth is greater is a greater test of faith than poverty. And even enslavement. So in other words, it's, easier to be in poverty and enslaved than it is to be great in your wealth. A slave like our ancestors in Egypt suffers physically, but when he has respite from his labor, he can focus on his spiritual goals. A person with every material advantage, which is epitomized by Ashur, i.e. Assyria is constantly tempted by the pleasures offered him and that his wealth can provide. All too often, such wealth leaves no room for spiritual pursuits. I think of Mashiach's words, how hard is it for a rich man to enter the kingdom, easier for the camel to pass through the, the eye of a needle. Or, as Ishma'alei Shlita, Superman, brings down, looking at the Aramaic, it's actually, it's harder for a rich man to enter a kingdom than it is to put a rope through the eye of a needle. 
which a rope can actually go through the eye of a needle if you were to untwine it. You know those big braided ropes? You can kind of undo the rope and then slowly it becomes smaller and then you can boom. So it says, oh, and this is why Yeshua told the rich man, well, you have everything. You just need to sell everything and follow me. So like you got to untwine yourself get get all that stuff off of you so you can come after me in order to follow mashiach you have to be small that's why he says i am gentle i am humble i am lowly that's how you take the yoke says all too often such wealth leaves no room for spiritual pursuits but when the great shofar sounds both types of people will surge to serve god Lakute Sakot and Balshim Tov and Abarbanel and Rashi and Medzudot all just commented on that. So here's the deal. As we go into Rosh Hashanah, have we made ourselves nothing? Have we humbled ourselves? Are we really truly speaking repentance as well as doing it? Yes, we have to confess. Yes, we have to regret. But we also have to have actions that go along with that to say, you know what? That was messed up. You know what? I am messed up. You know what? I did mess up. There was a problem. We had a lot of stuff come into the world this year that people could care less for. (laughs) It's like, man, when is 2020 going to be gone? But that's not the attitude and that's not the response and that's not the reaction that is called for. The reaction and the response, the attitude is called for. You know what? We messed up. We did some things we shouldn't have done and we're going to make good on it now. We're going to fix it. We're going to fix it by doing what Hashem called us to do. We're going to be accountable to the word of God. We're going to walk in it. We're going to teach people it. We're going to love our fellow as we love ourselves. We're going to focus on restoring proper fear of a holy God. We will make ourselves like an Akedah. We will be caught up in the thicket of the words of the Torah, of the words of prayer, of the words of Telim, the words of the Shemona Yesterday, the words of the Shema. Like we will clothe ourselves in all this righteousness. That is the response. That is the action. Take it from me as a par a parsha Vayashev uh person. That is my Torah portion. The moment Yaakov was like, I want rest, I want tranquility, I just want to dwell in the land. That's when Yosef was taken and the final part of Yaakov's life began. So the moment we look for reprieve. The moment we look for, oh, I just want the shalom here. We're not going to get it now. We're going to get it at the final redemption. Hashem is going to give us those Shabbats. He's going to give us the Yom Tovs. He's going to give us those sweet moments. And yes, cherish them. Take them in. But it's not going to be constant until the Olam Haba. So we must press and strain towards the high mark of the upper call and the Mashiach. So thank you for tuning in to the podcast this year. It's been so, so fun. I thank you and appreciate everyone's support and uh, all of your encouragement. 
And I pray that this podcast was a blessing to you and that you will be equipped and ready, prepared and anointed, focused and um, just all about it when uh, we complete out the Shlikot and the final days of Elul headed into Rosh Hashanah and the 10 days of awe. Bezrat Tashem, with the onset of the new year, we will continue on pressing towards the high mark. Until then, may you be blessed, may you have a Shavuot Tov, and let us all say, Kili Shuateka Kiviti Hashem, Baruch Haba B'Shem Adonai. Baruch Atah Adonai, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Asher Natan Lanu Torah Temet, Vechaye Olam Natabetokhenu, Baruch Atah Adonai, Noten HaTorah.